And now, on BBC Radio 4, we present Great Gamers of History. Welcome to the show. Throughout the centuries of human endeavour, there are some figures who stand out of the crowd as particular beacons of ingenuity, bravery or notoriety. What very few people seem to know is that many of these historical figures, if not all of them, were in fact avid board gamers. For example, did you know that Mary Curie, legendary physicist and pioneer in radiation research, was also a fan of Animal Upon Animal? Of course, in those days, many of the animals featured in the game hadn't been discovered yet, making it a significantly easier experience. Similarly, in addition to being one of the most important British mathematicians of his time, Isaac Newton was a renowned player of Corey Young's Gravwell Escape from the Ninth Dimension. Many of the ideas in the game would lead to his formulation of the theory of gravity. However, board games have not always been a force for good. Even staunch anti-materialist Karl Marx was forced to abandon his beliefs when faced with the prospect of a stretch goal for Gloomhaven's metal coins. And in 1943, Jean-Paul Sartre took part in a four-player game of Twilight Imperium. It was one year later that he wrote the line, Hell is other people, in his play No Exit, about four individuals trapped to torture one another for all eternity. In this show, I will demonstrate... Man, the BBC really went downhill after we left the EU. Let's go! Live from the Treehouse Board Game Cafe in Sheffield, UK, you're listening to the Treehouse Podcast. I'm Patrick Lickman. I'm Matt Turner, and our guest today is Treehouse Chef Ashley Routh. Today on the show, we lay roads in Tokyo Highway, lay down the law when it comes to height, and lay down a mining village, scout, mining village, steward, mining village, mining village by a province in Dominion. That's all this month on the Treehouse Podcast. Welcome to the Treehouse Podcast for February 2019, uh, the second, uh, would you believe it, monthly podcast of 2019. I just, I was listening back to last month's a little while ago, and yeah. uh, and you at the start said it was the first of 2019, so I figured that that's now a tradition, and I had to tell you what number month we're to on. To say how many it is every month. <laughs> but what are you going to do in August? Uh, well, we'll figure it out. Um, so... <laughs> so um, <laughs> Already poking holes in our plan uh, <laughs> yeah. is, is Treehouse Chef and Games Enthusiast, Ashley Routh. All right. Before we start talking about the board games uh, that we're featuring this month, we're going to talk about the events that have been going on at the Treehouse Board Game Cafe. That is um, what this podcast is all about. So uh, let's uh, dive in with the first event uh, last month, which is the Big Game Swap. That's right. Uh, we had the Big Game Swap. Yep. Um, it was... Uh, really sort of um, quite quickly put together thing so I don't think we actually talked about it at the uh, end of last month we didn't actually no it was it was sort of uh, the date was announced just after we we released the episode yes but um, uh, needless to say it it was a, a resounding success it was a huge success the idea was essentially you bring down your old games or, or, or even your new games, but things that you don't play uh, or that you don't intend to play very often because as we sort of know, uh, uh, one of the big facets of this hobby is getting a big collection. Is clutter. And not knowing what to do with it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yes. Uh, and so what you do, you bring those games down and you uh, swap them 
for other games. And needless to say, yeah, the cafe with a collection of 500 games on the shelf had plenty to uh, to, to sort of give out that, that, you know, we do analyse as it goes on, like whether a game is good for cafe use. Yes. And um, it, uh, some of them uh, just weren't quite uh, there, but they might bring someone a lot of joy in their own home. So uh, we, we were giving those away. But yeah, no, the uh, game swap was a huge success and uh, we will be doing more of them. Um, we're currently thinking maybe every six months or so, so a, a couple of them a year. Obviously, we can't do them too frequently. Give you a bit of time to, to acquire some clutter so you can uh, try and uh, donate it to someone else. But it works as a, as a regular series, so you can expect to see one of those um, in the summer. Lovely. Next up, uh, also in January, we had Keyforged, the first Keyforge event. We did talk about this at the end of the last podcast. Uh, in fact, we talked about it quite a lot over the last couple of podcasts because we're incredibly excited about it. Um, and we're really happy to say that the first Keyforge event uh, went off without a hitch. It was a lot of fun watching lots of people get to grips with the game. People who had come in uh, that day and learned the game maybe an hour ago mm-hmm. were already taking down tournaments, like like uh, sweeping the tables. Oh, it was that's absolutely so cool. fantastic. That's really, really cool to see. And, you know, like it's uh, so it was a uh, uh, an Archon tournament, which is basically you bring your own deck, right? That's right. A lot of those people, I assume, were buying their first deck that day, learning how to play it, and then going on to try and uh, take on people with, with just that one. Exactly. I would I would be teaching them with my decks and then I would say, well, if you want to play the tournament, you'll have to you'll have to get one of your own. Uh, and then they would go, they'd get one, but they would get to grips with it just like that. It was fantastic. Okay. Uh, the, finally, uh, the, the, the event we want to catch up on, but to be honest, it's still going. You can participate right now, is the 10 by 10. Uh, we started it uh, over in uh, this year because we finished it on New Year's Eve, uh, awarding the... Uh, the 10 by 10 uh, victory and lifetime membership to, to Shannon, uh, who successfully completed all 100 games on there. Um, That's right. But... So the, the 10 by 10 challenge is uh, play 10 games 10 times over the course of the year. Sure thing. And um, I would like to take this moment to maybe offer an exclusive bit of advice to uh, Treehouse Podcast listeners. Oh, it's Matt's Advice Corner. It is Matt's Advice Corner. This, I've got, reg- this regular feature. I've got a couple of these this episode, so it will be. Okay. <laughs> is it going to be Don't Pick Twilight Imperium? <laughs> Firstly, Don't Pick Twilight Imperium, mm. because you are... Oh, let me write that down. I'll let, you, <laughs> I'll let you do the maths, but you're, you're, you're going to consign 120 of your of your Earth hours <laughs> to, uh, to... And, and 120 of other people's earth hours as well um, to the oblivion for that one. Um, But uh, secondly, don't bother putting all the titles in at the start of the year. Your tastes are going to change over the course of the year like everyone else's does. uh, Like everyone's does. So think about the ones that you think you're going to play 10 times in the next two to three months. Okay. Um, Try and try and maybe get like six or seven of them done and then think about what you're doing next. On, that, on those next ones, because I know that I put in a load of games that I was very excited about at the start of the year last time, yeah. and some of them I played one game of. Yeah, and you just didn't didn't feel like you were going to do, do any more. I think that, that concludes Matt's advice corner. Excellent. Is there a jingle? Um, uh, Ash, is there a jingle? Um, yeah, can you give me like a sort of a scat beat? It's Matt's advice corner. Actually, good. Yeah. On which note? <laughs> <laughs> what have I become? Um, <laughs> on on which note we we should uh, move on to our first topic, uh, which is the game of the month. 
the brand new game that we've brought into the uh, into the treehouse, we've put onto the shelves, and that we've uh, tested and uh, approved, or possibly not approved, for your gaming pleasure. Uh, what is uh, this month's game of the month, Matt? It is Tokyo Highway. Ooh, here we go. Cars. <laughs> Brum. <laughs> Patrick, uh, what is Tokyo Highway? Well, I'm glad you asked. Uh, Tokyo Highway is a brand new dexterity game from game design studio Itten, uh, which is a Japanese studio that's uh, spelled I-T-T-E-N. You may not have heard of them. I think they're uh, maybe not completely new, but new-ish. Um, and they've already built up a bit of a reputation for weird, um, uh, slightly unusual, often very physical designs. And Tokyo Highway is absolutely no exception. It's a game in which you are building a highway. Uh, you are placing roads, which are like um, little sticks, uh, little grey uh, rounded sticks, and you are putting them on columns, which are discs of, of a certain height that you can you can build up and down to build out a highway that is not leading to anywhere in particular. You're just trying to make it crisscross in this sort of metropolitan uh, uh, urbanized area full of these these big skyscrapers. Which is, is I should point out, um, a table. Yes, well, of course. Yeah. Naturally, uh, it is actually a table. Uh, but with this, and you, you can't, uh, you can't make any uh, any assumptions. <laughs> um, you know, this could be this could be a game played exclusively in a field or something. Or... <laughs> that would be That'd good. That'd be a nightmare in a field. Yeah, no, it'd be an absolute <laughs> mess because the game is all about balance. Like I say, it's a, it's a dexterity game. the The idea is you have to build things up, and of course, there are there are ways to score points by uh, threading your roads in between your opponent's roads while they try to do the same to you but the big penalty is if you manage to knock over anything that belongs to your opponents because you have to not only rebuild it which uh can mean trying to put things back together and maybe making things even worse but also you have to give over the building materials that you use to that opponent to to pay them back for the damage that you you wrought with your carelessness and it is a beautiful beautiful game mm. it is it's really yeah. pretty it's gorgeous and i, I would be interested because i did not know that they'd uh, they'd kind of had this reputation for physical games do you know uh, anything else they've made yeah um they made a, a really weird game that is either just finished kickstarting or is still kickstarting mm. called stonehenge and the sun okay um and i don't want to get too off track describing it because it's a whole other thing okay but it is a big uh, a sort of weighty metal ball Right. On a string that you hang from the ceiling. Oh, wow. And you have blocks similar to in Tokyo Highway. You have building blocks with which you're going to be making Stonehenge. And at the end of your turn, uh, using uh, gravity swing the ball to across. swing the ball across I've the table. I've heard enough. I've heard enough. <laughs> <laughs> so, it looks so amazing. It's, it's and like also... Skittles bowling plus uh, building. Yes, but it's really elegant. Like like Tokyo Highway, it's got this minimalist, elegant uh, aesthetic to it yeah. uh, that really fits in with the best of board gaming at the moment. And Tokyo Highway is that. You've got your, your regular sort of like maybe building block style uh, cylindrical um, kind of columns, pillars uh, that you can stack on top of each other um, to kind of create the foundations for these uh, highways, this kind of spaghetti junction uh, mess of stuff. Then you've got these long kind of, uh, if you imagine, ice cream sticks, yeah, like lolly yeah. sticks that, are, that, that look like roads. Uh, and then you have these tiny baby little cars. Which are the only only splashes in the colour. The game isn't entirely grey other than that. Yes. But your cars have a distinct colour. Yes. And uh, then 
the best component, one of the best components in a board game ever is the little tweezers, little wooden tweezers that are exactly the size of the car. It's perfect. I don't know what it says about this game, that your favourite part about it is the tweezers. Like, I don't disagree with you. <laughs> it's downhill from here. I <laughs> Listen, that, those, that, there's some amazing things about this game, and if you like tension, if you like dexterity and building that sort of stuff, it's it's going to be a great time. Um, Matt's Advice Corner is back again. Um, stand up while you play it, because unless you like other people's armpits, um, they're going to need to be leaning over you. Yeah, it's um, one of these games where you need to look at it from every angle, yes. and so occasionally you're going to need to go around the other side of the table, uh, because especially for me I don't know what it is but I have to be looking at things side on when I put them in like to get the I guess it's a depth perception thing yeah. but I have to make sure that I'm in the in the right perspective and depth perception is an important thing and it's something I don't have a lot of so my experiences of this might be uh, like tampered a little bit but but um, it is it gets increasingly fiddly uh, and I think that's a, that's a joy for some people. For me, it's anxiety inducing. Um, it like you you as soon as the first roads go went up, I genuinely had a pang of anxiety. And I'm not they, these roads weren't really anywhere near me, but the closer they got to me, the more I was worried that I was going to fall over in a china shop. Um, like I was going to ruin everything. And this is the big thing. And I think Ash, you had a similar thing. Is it a bit punishing? Um. So, you know, it's a it's a fun game. Like, as far, as far as dexterity games go, you know, obviously the one that everyone's heard of is Jenga. And, you know, Jenga, you knock the thing down, that's game over. In this, you knock the thing down and you have to repair it. And I can see where they were going with that. Yeah. But... Increase it, the stakes, right? You, you yeah, absolutely. The At the start of the game, it's not a big deal. Like, if I'm trying to be a bit too cute or a bit too clever and I'm going under or over your road and I knock your road off, oh no, I put that road back on, I give you a piece. Yeah. Not the end of the world. But when you're like two-thirds into the game, yeah. especially if you're not doing amazingly well, if you knock everything down, like, and you just Which cause this like, yeah, like ka- kaplunk style, just everything drops. Yeah. It's so annoying. Like, me and Patrick played it like one on one yesterday, and it was quite difficult trying to rebuild everything and try to remember where everything was, yeah. Wh- which roads belong to whom. Because of mm. course, by the point scoring nature of the game, everything's tangled, and that's yeah. on you as well. As the person yeah. who just knocked it down, you already feel like a, a an idiot, yeah. right? And then everyone's looking at you, going, "You've got to a pay us all the rest of your roads that you've got left in the game, and b." You need to uh, build it all back again, now, and and I had the the instinctual response of, I think I'm just going to give up on the game. <laughs> like but that, that's the problem with the game, though, is like if you're not doing so well and you've just caused a, a fairly large thing that's probably going to cost you the game because you have to give away all of your resources. Yeah. You're whenever you lose a game normally, you score and go, oh, this person won, this person lost, pack it up, let's play another game, and like that 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 kind of bad feeling about losing is is brief and fleeting yeah. whereas in this game if you lose and you lose badly you have to give away all of your resources thus eliminating you from the game mm-hmm. but also fix everything that you broke and then sit there and watch everyone else continue to play and you can't even go oh i'm out of the game i'm going to go over and play something else i'm going to go and get a drink because if you like scoop from the game and say oh i've knocked everything over i lose if you've got three other players in there, yeah. none of them have won. And they can't keep playing the game <laughs> unless it gets fixed, <laughs> yeah. which means the first person to lose could very easily ruin the game for everyone else and make there be no winner. Now, when I played this uh, just with you yesterday, Ash, that was just a two-player game. And then today we played it four-player. Yes. Um, 
And in the four player game, I definitely got that that feeling. Like the person who knocks it over has to uh, like wait, has to has to sort of fix it all. And everyone else, the other three players are basically just watching that person um, do it. Now, when we played it two player, admittedly, it was a little uh, maybe just as confusing because everything was was tangled up. But I didn't mind that bit so much yeah. because it didn't feel as though everybody else was just waiting to, to you know, get on with the, the rest of the game, I, you know. I really enjoyed watching you try and rebuild it in 1v1 because the stakes were, it's me seeing you struggle, which is funny. But, <laughs> Thanks. But also, ultimately, if you can't do it, or it becomes clear that you've caused so much damage that like you, you're not going to win the game. Yeah. This is a 1v1 game. I've won, you've lost, we don't have to sit here for 10 minutes. Sure. Yeah, what I, what I was going to like say... Jenga, sorry. Yeah. Like, in, in the case of, like, you knocked it down, game over. But, uh, sorry, I interrupted. Uh, what I was going to say is, is it is always going to be pretty. I think this is kind of a game that's just been designed to be photographed. For sure, like, yes, it, absolutely. When it's finished, the reward for having completed it is A... You get to photograph it and say, look, we built this beautiful thing. And B, Godzilla. Absolutely. Uh, which I enjoyed incredibly. Yes, you were a big fan of the, my, uh, the the Godzilla mode. My inner cat came out and I just like one by one just crunch, crunch, just put my big old paws because I do have quite big hands. <laughs> and like and that actually made it difficult. The tweezers help with the cars, but not so much with putting placing the little mm. columns and things. So when you've got big hands, it's just you're just putting your giant fist, your hand fist through everything <laughs> to try and reach the tiny thing, and I'm just like every time I just want to not care about that, those consequences and just punch my way through. I think it's a really good game if you like design games. Like I play a lot of like cities skylines on on my computer, which yeah. is a game where you basically sit and design a city. And you do and the, the amount of and everything. Yeah, you spend two hours like just designing this beautiful intersection, and that's just what this game is. So if you've ever played Cities Skylines and you've spent more than half an hour building an intersection, play this game. <laughs> like you'll enjoy it. I would say it's a ten out of ten two player game, and if you have three or more players, it's. 70% a 7 out of 10 game and 30% a 3 out of 10 game. <laughs> well, well, that's cleared that up. Uh, everyone get your spreadsheets. Yeah. <laughs> on, if you've played it, you'll know what I mean. On which mathematical note uh, we could we can move on to our, our second topic, which is put forward by you, Matt. Uh, this is our topic of the month where we talk about not necessarily one specific game, but we talk about uh, an idea around games or, or, or gaming culture. And we have a spicy one today. It's a very spicy and potentially controversial subject of hype. Uh, how does your perception of a game before you play it affect the actual playing of that game? And does uh, do we need to lean out of that? Are we trying to have a more objective view of games? Or is it important to the, game, to the board games industry that we do get hyped? Wow. All right. So we're just diving right in. Absolutely. Hype, <laughs> like, hype is important to me because I think it's... It, I am possibly one of the bigger evangelists I know for board gaming is that sure. I know a lot of people like board gaming and play board gaming a lot but many of them will choose one friend right and they go like I'm going to get you into board gaming and one yeah. one at a time whereas I kind of I like to, to, to feel like a person who's like you've never heard of board games come on um, <laughs> <laughs> and, um, and, and so hype is a big deal for me because uh, like what a game looks like to play is almost as important as uh, you know, whether it is fun to play. Definitely. Having just talked about Tokyo Highway as a game that's designed to be photographed, that is 
a part of hype. Like, mm. even after the game has been uh, designed, you know, that is a part of, like, you post pictures of that on Instagram and people go, that game looks interesting. I want to play that, yeah. yeah. But on, as a counterpoint to that, you get games that have huge amounts of hype because potentially they are by a popular designer or maybe that they they kind of just have a selling point just like that. Yeah. And then you order them you, ahead of time, you pre-order them, they come, you unpack them, and you start sit down and play this, like, £80 game. And it's just <laughs> not, that not you're, fun. Not that you're referring to any specific examples that happened in the recent history of your, <laughs> your board gaming and board gaming culture in general. I am potentially talking about uh, a little game called Gen, Gen 7. Gen 7, there we go. Uh, a crossroads <laughs> game by uh, the, the designers of uh, Dead of Winter. Uh, Dead of Winter, of course, a very, very popular, uh, very big name because it's got that kind of zombie apocalypse. Do Who do I trust? Uh, fr- fleeting alliances, uh, incredible story points that can kick off at any point. That was incredibly engaging. Uh, and so the, this new one, Gen 7, uh, about a, a kind of long-term transit ship uh, zooming through the galaxies with generation after generation of humans on it. What a cool sci-fi concept. Yeah. yeah. And you, you get the chance to... Uh, take part as a crew member, as an officer, even um, directing the way through this giant book. If you've played something like Stuffed Fables or Gloomhaven, you're kind of making a choose-your-own-adventure okay. path through this book of adventures. Well, I say, I say adventures, uh, difficult choices. <laughs> um, yeah, it's it's kind of. No, I haven't played Gen Seven. Uh-huh. Um, I've seen uh, the reviews, and this is kind of, I think, what you're leading up to is is that uh, everybody was very excited for it yep. about this time last year, or, or maybe a little later, um, and then it came out. People played the first game. Yeah, quite liked it. Uh, it's 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 got some promise. Yeah. Uh, and then uh, it doesn't deliver it from, doesn't... from from all the reviews. Yeah, the central machine of it is, and I'm not gonna. This isn't gonna be a review of Gen Seven because this is a topic of the month. Uh, but it, the central machine is okay. It's fine, but it's not. You, it's not something to bring you back. Yeah. What you're being brought back for is the unfolding story. The, the promise of like branching narratives and all these yeah. characters you get invested in, and they don't turn up. So, um, like, you, it's, it's, it's just a disappointment. But that, the, the important question here is, like, should we take precautions to worry about whether hype, something is overhyped? I mean, I had Patrick hype a game to me, uh, which you've touched on earlier, uh, which is um, Keyforge, yeah. yes. Um, Patrick was very excited when uh, that was Certainly. first announced, and I was extremely dubious about it. For sure. Um, I was... You know, I, I'm quite an avid Magic player, and what I saw was a trading card game where you can't trade cards. <laughs> and I was like, mm, yeah. "This, this sounds like top trumps." <laughs> <laughs> that's been, and that's been the the the, the reaction from a lot of the Magic Gathering community. Absolutely. Of course, um, like. Uh, the Garthmeyer himself, uh, the, what... <laughs> Richard Garfield, <laughs> Garth the Meyer designer himself. of Keyforge. Yes, the designer of Keyforge, and uh, a big part of the design of Magic: The Gathering. You know, the Magic: The Gathering community, understandably, when their ears perked up when they heard Richard Garfield, yeah. and then perked down again when they heard about what it was. Um, and uh, the same has gone for once it came out. Um, Keyforge has gained its own little following because it's a you know it's a fun game, um, but people still keep looking at it expecting Magic the Gathering and then coming away disappointed. See, I don't know if I if I agree. Uh, certainly, when, when it first came out, there were many, many people uh, like Ash and, and, and uh, you know, typical Magic players who saw uh, something that took away their, their favourite part of, or, or, or the part that they liked the most about, about Magic, right? Um, but since the game came out in November, I think, a community 
not not a little community, an absolutely uh, gigantic community sure. uh, of of fans have have sprung up around it for what it is um and that's actually an example where maybe um because of course hype is is no substitute for the real thing yeah but that goes both ways you know maybe a game uh uh didn't show much promise when it first came out but then when people actually got to grips with it got to got to sort of play with it and and experience it and 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 learn it and see how it changes over time mm. um and ash i would say this probably happened to you with keyforge i mean we now play keyforge pretty regularly i wouldn't say i'm a complete convert like uh you know i definitely couldn't play keyforge in the same way i play magic like i i have and will again spend an entire day playing magic but i think I... we're we're framing this question wrong the question i'm positing is you guys have uh, uh, have been speaking about Keyforge as if it's a re- like a replacement for Magic the Gathering. Uh, I believe that they fit into two separate places oh, in people's yeah. lives, um, and I think the, the the key here for me, the the forged key here for me, is <laughs> that I, I believe that that Keyforge, the expectation of some people, was one thing. And it actually came out to be something else. And now some people will have been put off by that. Uh, Matt Arnold, who's been on the show, um, went into learning Keyforge, uh, expecting it to be a Magic the Gathering-like game, um, was trying to make strategies and plans like the rules were Magic the Gathering and sort of... And, and I think he had... Part of him was kind of put off by that. We, we spoke about Keyforge with him, in fact. Uh, so you can go back and listen to his, his thoughts on it. Hype is more important than ever because you have things like Kickstarter, right? Yeah. I recently kickstarted a game um, that I have no idea about the rules or mechanics of. Okay. Except it, uh, the Everain um, by Grimlord Games um, looks really cool. It's about... A, a, a world where it won't stop raining. It's kind of steampunky, but there's eldritch abominations. You're sailing across the um, uh, the seas and getting got by sea monsters and stuff like that. I I, I don't know. It lo- looks really really cool, but I don't know how the combat's going to work. I don't it, know how it, the adventures. It, could, gonna it work. could be the most disappointing thing in the world. And there's many many cases of Kickstarters that have you know come out and people have gone. Was well, nothing like what I expected at all. And I've already paid for it. <laughs> yeah, that's the thing with Kickstarter is <laughs> Kickstarter games don't tend to be cheap either. Like. No. It's one thing to get hyped on a... I'm going to very briefly dip into it because it's cheap. Keyforge, you spend, what, eight, nine it's pounds? Nine pounds if you don't like it, deck. it's not the end of the world. Yeah. Kickstarter, you get hyped on something, you spend 80 pounds and it's yes. big box arrives. And yes. It's just a big box of disappointment. That's, that's <laughs> definitely... And that's taking up a, a space on your shelf. Yeah. Now you've got to take it to the treehouse big game swap. And... <laughs> yeah. and then you'll come and salvage it for minis. <laughs> I mean, kind of, that's why I bought it. Yeah. Uh... <laughs> And that's okay. So that's that's certainly a, a negative aspect of hype. But I would argue there are also positive and, in fact, um, uh, very natural aspects to hype in a, in a in a community. Mm-hmm. Um, the the board gaming community, I think, in a lot of ways, is built on hype. Mm-hmm. Without hype, board gaming could just be a group, maybe local, maybe on Twitter or or, or wherever, yeah. of people who occasionally meet and and, and play games. Yeah. But having anticipation. Having news and and things coming up and reviews and, and, mm-hmm. and things like that allow us to talk about the ecosystem around board games. Yes, and they allow us to uh, look at trends and they allow us to anticipate the kind of things that will be coming out. And I think that's the kind of thing that actually builds a community. True. Exhibit A in that case would be this podcast. <laughs> it's true. We, we are, are hype. <laughs> we are responsible for hype. I mean, we do two features on on games. One is always a, a, a new game, but we always are talking about hype we are mm. we're we are talking about um the the newest games or even old games that have come out and why we love them or why we don't um you know we we are responsible as responsible for it 
as anybody. And ultimately, I think that's a good thing. I think part of the, the, the part of the uh, community that benefits from this the most to kind of crystallize that, because that's quite a, a, uh, a nebulous concept. But think about Euro games. They ain't got the best themes, usually. Sure, not the prettiest, no. not the most eye-catching game. They aren't tying a ball to the ceiling and then swinging, <laughs> a, swinging a thing through a thing, right? And so, um, but they're great. They, they are, they're great. Yeah. I started off yeah. working in this job as a big Eurosceptic. Not that kind. Um, but, um, but not that one, oh, right? Um, but... <laughs> but I have been um, had my eyes opened to the to the uh, to the world of Eurogames and worker placements and all that sort of stuff because and, of hype. Uh, because of hype. Because people kept telling me how good Feast for Odin was, and I was like, "But I won't understand it. I'll start small." Um, and I did, and I love them. Um, That's and- how I got into Euros. Definitely, like somebody plonked one down in front of me and went, "Just trust me." And I was like, "Oh, okay, yeah, sure." Yeah, and that's yeah, hype. I loved it. And that's hype right there. And 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 so. I think it's worth. I mean, I I know we haven't solved the problem of hype, but in, <laughs> what you mean in the last ten minutes? Yeah, but in Weird. conclusion, I would say that I think it's worth us being as board game fans being more conscious of it. Yes, um, I think the listeners ourselves we can go away and look at the board game shelf at the treehouse when we look at board game geek geek when we look at any kind of news and think you know what is the surrounding information about this where have i te- got this information from and sort of uh, and and be aware of when we're hyped for something was that a sneaky uh addition to matt's advice corner at the very end there? i guess so oh my god we <laughs> fell into the corner without even knowing you have a new feature like hype warning <laughs> before it's too late let's uh, let's get out of the advice corner and and move into our guest spotlight this is where our uh, esteemed uh, guest that we've invited to talk to us on the show today um comes and they they, they tell us about uh, a game that they love, normally from from the past. Ash, you're pretty esteemed. Uh, I like to think so. Yeah, that's why we we brought you on. Um, <laughs> what game have you brought to uh, to talk about? Uh, Dominion. Dominion is uh, one of my favourite games. Um, as I have alluded to, I'm a big fan of card games, and um, I haven't played as many games as you do. I don't think, but I played a fair few. Before you go too far, I have to ask the the immortal question, Ash. What is Dominion? Dominion is a deck building game where each player around the table will start with the same deck. And that deck is uh, a few cards that are victory points for the end of the game and a few cards that are currency. And uh, throughout the game, it will go round and round the players and you will draw cards from your deck, uh, spend the currency on cards with particular effects that happen when you draw them and play them. And as you run your deck down, you'll shuffle it up, start over again, and slowly you will craft a deck. So it's a game where you construct your deck on the fly. It's, it's not a pre-con ar- one like yeah. uh, Keyforge or like Magic or anything like that. It's the archetype of the boxed deck builder, right? Yes. When we talk about deck builders, we could be talking about Magic the Gathering, but most often we're talking about games like Dominion and, yeah. and games that are patterned after Dominion, in fact. Where, where building the deck is part of the game. You talk about Mystic Veil, vale, you talk about Clank, all these kinds of things are of are, are almost like descendants of Dominion, right? There are a lot of those gateway games. Um, for worker assignment, I really actually like just the base Lord of War- Lords of Waterdeep game. Sure. Not an amazing, like, like you say, not an amazingly themed game or anything, but simple, fairly easy to play, not too long, and it teaches you all the basic concepts. You know, you you see things like, 
here's a pile of quest cards that will slowly be cycled around yeah. and you can grab them and you assign workers and then other people can't assign workers and there are special pieces that let you break those rules. And these are all things you see in any other worker placement game. With Dominion, it has all of those core concepts that you'll see in any other game. And so yeah. before anyone plays any, I'll take them to Dominion first, gold standard. I think you're 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 ever so slightly uh, comparing Dominion with 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 Lords of Waterdeep. Uh, you, you said Lords of Waterdeep, not by any means a, a perfect game. Um, I think that Dominion is a perfect game. Definitely. That's that's my claim for Oof. this for this segment of the show. Okay. Now I I think and maybe of course this is this is personal bias because it is it was also one of my first games that that I played and and absolutely fell in love with and, and I'm still in love with I, I I actually just can't get over that game um you know there are some games that I like and and admire a great deal like uh, Twilight Imperium or something where I maybe think about it a little bit but I don't actually have a, a, a feel a pull to go and play it a lot I can't get over Dominion I think Dominion is kind of like prog rock okay i'm looking go on (laughs) so (laughs) dominion is the game that your dad listens to and then like you end up listening to it and you're like oh great this is like my identity now uh and then as you get older you branch out from that prog rock into different musical things and you look back at it and you still have like a soft spot for it in your heart and it is conventionally it is good music yeah but you know, it's not the be-all and end-all and you kind of, you're looking back at it almost with nostalgia once you've branched out and I think that's the same thing with Dominion. Like, I think the reason Dominion has so many expansions is that it's, you know, it's Led Zeppelin still playing in 2008. (laughs) Well, kind of, but the interesting thing about it is that the the, the fellow who designed it, um, Donald X, and I don't know, I can't, Vaccarino, I think it is, Vaccarino. Sounds about right. Um, We we just call him X. Yes, we do, Donald X. Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, And uh, um, he's pretty much put his entire designing life into Dominion. Since 2008, when it was released, um, He's just made a Dominion. I don't think he's wrong to do that. <laughs> me but neither, it, because it, as it, I said, I think it's a perfect <laughs> game. But it, it still makes me think that he's the aging rock star who doesn't know when to let go. Like... Here's, here's, the, here's the thing about that. Um, the Dominion expansions, there are, there are absolute tons of them and more, more coming out. Um, uh, I haven't played all of them. We don't have all of them at the cafe, although we have a, a fair few. We yeah. have uh, Intrigue, Adventures, and Seaside. Seaside yeah. I believe that's all, we, all the ones we've got. Yeah. Plus the base, of course. And the base game. Um, they're all fantastic. Yeah. Sometimes an expansion is um, good, but not essential. Or sometimes it doesn't quite change things enough. Or sometimes it changes things too much and it doesn't feel like the same game anymore. Yeah. Every Dominion game that I've played with the expansions feels exactly satisfying in the way that a Dominion game should, mm. but also adds a new dimension. Uh, sometimes it's new gameplay elements. Sometimes it's like uh, extra components, things to, to, to put in front of you, but it adds exactly enough. So I, I really don't think... Um, because the thing about the aging rock star is, you know, that they have diminishing returns, uh, right? Where o- over time, they, they, uh, they're never as good as, as, as when they once were, even if they're releasing new material. I don't think that applies to Dominion. I think that uh, every expansion. I know it's been it's been a while. No, no, no. We've only had ten years. If you do the the aging rock star Mm. example, we're talking third album right now. No, that's that's ages. No, that's that's absolutely ages in in uh, design time. Like that's where the analogy breaks down slightly. Is is uh, in terms of actually like creating games, ten years is a huge amount of time. 
Yeah, I I suppose so. Yeah, you, you're right. In, in in modern board game time, that is yeah. that is all of it. Uh, but <laughs> I mean, like I I'm I'm not here to like um, you know diss Dominion. It is that's true. You you, you of, brought that. Yeah, it, it is one of my favorite games ever. It's just um, I would really I would really like it mm. if Donald X would make a new game. Yeah, I'd be super excited. I'd be very hyped for it. I'd be worried that he might be George Lucas, though. I, I was uh, going to say J.K. Rowling. Actually, but... <laughs> we got the yeah. same. We got the same idea. <laughs> See, I got into Dominion late in my board game um, thing, and and for me, everyone's going to scoff right now. But like the gateway game for me was Munchkin, um, and so <laughs> so a lot of people. That's my scoff. It's not. A, it's not. It's not like good game but um it's it's fun and it me- lets you mess with your friends and uh so when games come al- come along uh that the kind of ape some of that i go like oh this is cool it's a bit like when i used to whatever yeah. like dominion for me um uh doesn't do enough of that like and i know it's not the same game but it's not even slightly the same game no but I have this big block, uh, and it's one of the blocks that I had when I was trying to get into Euro games, which is if my turn consists of me watching a little resource bar, as I kind of see it, or a resource pool get slightly bigger or slightly smaller, then I start to lose interest. And I think that's it for for, for Dominion, especially near the start of the game, um, and especially if you don't choose the right cards, if you draft the wrong, if you sort of like put the wrong cards into mm. the game, you can find yourself with a very bland experience where essentially you're accruing wealth and then storing that in in cards some of the expansions have solved some of those problems like seaside brilliant idea you can sort of lay away you can sort of dig uh, your your point cards into buried treasure so they're not there in your deck anymore and it's a it's a cool and enjoyable um kind of experience but um i think really it is a game of everyone staring at their own deck um, it's and it's not very interactive really and i get yes there is there is like air quotes interaction mm-hmm. in Dominion where you make people discard cards. That's not really interaction. And it's not those cards often get kind of poo pooed, right? Mm. They get they get taken out out of the game um, by people vetoing them because uh, you only uh, just uh, if you haven't played Dominion, you choose a certain amount of the box to use. Um, and uh, oftentimes people will not choose the interactive cards because the game isn't fun when played interactively. Absolutely. I, uh, I always do that. I, I want to get rid of anything that like forces the players to discard. Which is my biggest hole in Dominion, which mm. is the game isn't fun when it's played interactively. That's the, the, the thing. If you play it where you're warring and ruining each other's machines, you, you just look at your machine and go, oh, that's a bad machine now and I don't like the people around me. Um, whereas, you know, when you play an inter- a slightly more interactive game, um, in fact, Clank is a good example of this where you aren't directly interacting with each other but you can sort of uh, mess the environment up for each other um, to, to, to kind of uh, get that same effect. And I think that is, 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 is where, I'll, where I'll put that, is that I think it, it, it could be more interactive. Definitely. Um, I, th- I think that's fair. I think like the job Dominion does, and I do see it as a game that has to like carry a lot of weight, is to be that game where you have to stare at your deck because I think it's trying to teach you how to build a deck in these kind of yes. games. Because you can't if you jump into a more complex game of this type and you don't have any kind of like context for how to structure a deck. You know, like the obvious trap in Dominion is the first game you ever play in Dominion you will start buying up 
uh, victory point cards. Yes. And then in the late game, you'll draw a hand of victory point cards and you can't do anything. Yep. That's that's a lesson everyone learns the first time they play Dominion and then they play the next game and they're better at it. Yeah. And like, there's not many games that don't take very long to play because Dominion, the game is what, half an hour maybe? Yeah, probably half an hour. So yeah. That's what it says in the box anyway. Yeah. Um, there aren't many games, I think, where you can so easily track your progress. Like, yes. it's one of those, it's a cliche, I know, but like, easy to learn hard to master games for sure but i think that's really important like yes. if, if you play a few games dominion first i think you are immediately better any other similar game and 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 i of course i wouldn't be criticizing it like this if it wasn't so ubi- ubiquitously loved i love it as a game i like to yeah. play it i will always say yes when someone says do you want to play dominion um i would only make i only raise those criticisms because you're not going to hear any criticisms anywhere else yeah it's fair <laughs> enough really <laughs> and and so that's why it's on the shelf with those ones um, where you say you kind of must play this game or you should play this game if you are new to board gaming and you um, you want to know what the standards people go by are. This is an experience you should have. Definitely, definitely. So that's it for Dominion. Uh, we are going to move on now to close out the show uh, to the events that are going on uh, later in the month i was gonna say in the year but we don't have uh, all of those lined up for Te- you technically patrick it will be later in the year though technically now is later in the year than when you just said later in the year so we're going to start talking uh, to close the show out about the upcoming events that you can find at the treehouse board game cafe yes on wednesday the 13th of february we have the next in our regular installment of playtest uk meetups uh, this is a great opportunity in the evening uh, to come along and um, playtest your games if you are a budding game designer and let's be honest if you're a game player you probably who isn't yeah really uh you probably thought oh i could do this better come and prove it me i'm not yeah this is your <laughs> this is your opportunity except if you're matt turner to, <laughs> to come along and uh, try out a, a, a new game because if you uh, don't have any ideas of your own you can come along and learn other people's uh, yeah if you if you're the sort of person who just gets crazy excited when someone says i'm launching a beta of this software or like we're making a, a platform it's called google plus it's gonna be amazing oh dear. um <laughs> not how i would have framed it but yeah <laughs> this is your also is your opportunity to provide feedback to these people to, to people who are budding game designers and and get feedback if you if you need it as well because this is how great games are built right they they play tests and play tests and play tests and, yes and this is your opportunity to be a part of that process now uh ash Hello. You're familiar with the concept of speed dating. Uh, why would you say that? You you are for, <laughs> not not suggesting not like that intimately. Not, yeah. not like you're you're you uh... I was just trying to bring you in. It wasn't supposed to be a. It wasn't supposed to be a. Not thing. like you're habitually alone. <laughs> why yes, my fiance. I am familiar with the concept of speed dating. I regret this. Uh, well, <laughs> h- how about uh, speed friending? Um, you can come to the Treehouse's first ever speed friending event on the fifteenth of February. Uh, that is a Friday, um, and you can uh, come and and basically play really quick games, talk to really quick people. I don't know yeah. if the people are quick, but yeah. you can talk to them quickly. The people um, will be quick. Yes. And and you can just basically find a, a friend who you resonate and you say, oh, I've never played this game before. Or like, I have an interest in this. And you're like, I have never even met someone else who is into that thing. Yeah. Let's talk later yeah. about that. And, and, and the point is uh, that speed dating is rubbish. 
and uh, <laughs> like puts undue pressure onto the uh, onto the people. This is not going to be that. I mean, the the treehouse is not that kind of place. No, uh, it's going to be super relaxed. It's going to be very casual, um, but it's going to be a lot of fun. Uh, so if you are interested, you can get tickets for that online, uh, treehousesheffield.com, and you can click on the events, uh, and and you can get your tickets through there. Last but not least, uh, we have less of an event, more of a uh, thing that's happened uh, <laughs> uh, as a consequence of the staff cupboard at the True House just getting uh, too full up. Um, we're actually recording in the staff cupboard right now. That's our <laughs> habitual recording place in, well, in it, the hot tub. It has been the last couple of uh, last couple of weeks, uh, months, I should say. Yes. Um, we we usually move to a different part of the True House every time. Uh, the first right. episode was on top of the game shelf. That's correct. Um, but now uh, the staff cupboard is uh, collapsing under the weight of its board games. We've been hoarding them like dragons in a cave. Just waiting to drop them all on you, not literally, yes. uh, at, a, at a special moment. And this is that special moment. Uh, we've uh, frankly run out of space. And so we <laughs> need to splurge them all out onto the shelves. And so we've we've uh, uh, pushed out a whole bunch, especially a lot of kid uh, games. Kids games uh, like uh, we've got Magic Maze Kids, Karuba Jr. Karuba Gooding Jr. Karuba Gooding Jr. <laughs> <laughs> Um, my little scythe, which I'm actually very excited to uh, to to give a go. Me too. Yes. Wow. Uh, um, but a whole bunch of other uh, brand new games. So we're going to be updating the list. It probably will have been done by the time you hear this. If it hasn't, it'll be very soon. Uh, the list on the website uh, where you can see uh, all the brand new games that we've added to the library. Anything you're particularly excited about? My little scythe. My little scythe. Actually, there's a new. You know, ice cool. Yes. The sort of penguin flicking dexterity game. Ice cool too. There's a new ice cool game. Yes. Uh, which. Uh, if you know Ice Cool, it has a gimmick involving the box, where the box is is, is part of the the game. The box is the board. The box is the board. Um, uh, Ice Cool. It's not called Ice Cool Two, uh, but I can't remember what it's called. Um, it inc- it introduces a new box gimmick, which I will not spoil for you here, but is amazing. You, you tie it to the ceiling and swing it. Down <laughs> yeah, it's an, the it's, an Itten, it's an Itten game. Uh, Ice Cool Two, <laughs> and that about does it for this episode of the Treehouse Podcast. Thank you, Matt, for joining me. Thank you, Patrick, and thank you, Ash, for coming on to the show. Thanks for having me. And so all that remains is for us to say goodbye, and we'll see you in March. Thank you for listening. See ya. You've been listening to the Treehouse Podcast featuring Matt Turner, Patrick Lickman, and Ashley Routh. The producers were Matt and Patrick, and the theme was by Custom Phase. The views expressed on this podcast are those of the speaker and nobody else. <laughs>